Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. My name is Jeff Wagg, and I'm coming to you from the College of Curiosity. Welcome back. This is episode two. In this episode, we'll be discussing staying warm. And in Tech Talk, talk about the very first thing you should buy for your van build, even before you buy the van, and talk about a place to visit known as Indiana Dunes. And uh, we'll throw in some recommended resources and a Q&A at the end here. So welcome back. Uh, let's just dive right in. We're going to start with staying warm. It is uh, December here. In fact, it's a very cold day in Chicago. It's about 13 out. I have a number of projects that I want to do in the van. But I decided it was just too cold today. So I ended up uh, having an indoor day and hence I'm recording a podcast. But you don't always have the option to go indoors. Maybe you're living full time. Maybe you're on the road. Maybe uh, you just find yourself in a cold place in your van. What are you going to do? Well, you're going to be prepared is what you're going to do. Your van or vehicle, whatever, whatever the heck you're in, a trailer, a car, whatever it is, is a metal tent. Think about it that way. You are in a metal tent. And you have all the advantages and disadvantages that a metal tent offers. There are advantages. Metal tents tend not to leak, although if you drill holes in them, they will probably leak, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but they're also windproof. Uh, they're a little bit taller than tents in most cases. I mean, there's there's a lot. You're doing this for a reason. There's a reason you're not sleeping in a tent. It's because you have a van available. But metal, as you know, is a great conductor of heat, which is a bad situation for you. One of the best descriptions I've ever heard of this is that all you can ever do is slow down the process by which the inside of your van becomes the same temperature as the outside. And that thing we use to slow that down is called insulation. You're going to lose this battle eventually. There's no such thing as perfect insulation. But the better your insulation, the slower it will be. And, you know, what that means for you is that there's the more there's more chance of being comfortable inside your van. That is the goal. I will do an entirely different show on how to stay cool in a van. But since I'm recording this in the winter, I'm going to focus on staying warm, which is actually easier than staying cool. So if you have the choice and you're building your van, start with insulation. We could talk for hours and hours and hours about insulation. It's one of the most contentious topics in the van community. People have all different kinds of opinions. Some want to use only natural materials. Others swear that Reflectix, that silvery bubble wrap stuff, is the only thing you need. They're wrong. You can go crazy figuring out insulation. So just to keep it brief, insulate. Do your research and do the insulation that makes the most sense for you. In my van, what I did was I took big sheets of polyiso board. That is a, it's a pink board. Mine is about an inch and a half thick. It has a silver layer on one side, which doesn't matter in this case. And I put that everywhere I could. Now, this stuff is not flexible. You can't bend it around anything. And if you've ever spent any time in the back of a van, there's one thing you've learned is that it is not square. So this won't work everywhere. But it's great for some flat portions of the walls and especially the ceiling. Now, in the places where I couldn't use that, I used some spray foam. So there's, there's certain places that I, I couldn't reach at all. I even drilled some holes in the back door on the inside and actually sprayed spray foam in there. 
and I filled in any gaps I could with spray foam. Now, I find spray foam kind of a pain. It's messy. You don't necessarily know what size it's going to be, and if you use the wrong kind of spray foam, it can actually expand so much as to dent or, or cause your metal parts of your van to bulge. So do a little bit of research on that. You want closed cell spray foam. And then I used uh, a product called rock wool. It's a mineral, it's like obsidian, if you know what that is, volcanic glass that has gone through a process called cracking that makes it look like wool. And uh, it's good stuff in a van, despite what you might hear, because it is water resistant. Uh, if it gets wet, it's okay. It will just dry out and you'll be fine. It's not going to grow mold or anything. And it doesn't shed little glass fibers like fiberglass does. It looks a bit like fiberglass. It's not fiberglass. And I believe rock wool is actually a brand name. So, you know, maybe mineral wool is, is more what it's called. The advantage of this stuff is, is you can stuff it into places. So if you can reach your hand in there, you can kind of put this stuff in there. But you have to be careful not to s literally stuff it in there. You want to place it in there. If this stuff gets compressed, it loses a lot of its R value. So anyway, long story short, that's basically how I insulated my van. Now, I don't have windows in the back. If I did have windows, I would make coverings out of Reflectix for those. It is excellent for keeping the sun out of your windows. It is not so good for keeping the heat from getting through the metal sides of your van. Fine. Insulation. Topic covered for now. If I say any more, I'm going to get hate mail. What's the next thing to do? Well, make sure you have a good sleeping bag. This is your first and last defense against the cold. Uh, you want a sleeping bag that is rated as low as you can afford, that is as comfortable as you can stand, or rather uncomfortable as you can stand. The highest rated sleeping bags uh, are mummy bags, and often filled with uh, down, but a lot of people find them uncomfortable. That's why we have different grades of sleeping bags. I personally don't like mummy bags. I find them confining, and I can't get a good night's sleep in them. I rather, I'd rather have a sleeping bag that has a square end, but that square end costs you. It, it means that the sleeping bag isn't as good. So I have a sleeping bag that's rated down to zero, that is a s zero degrees Fahrenheit, that is, has a square end, and that is pretty good. But a note about those ratings, those are survivability ratings. Those are not comfort ratings. Uh, just because it says it goes down to zero doesn't mean you'll be comfortable at zero. It means you won't die, at least from hypothermia, at zero. So keep that in mind. And um, I think what most people do is they end up like me and owning several different sleeping bags. I have an extremely light sleeping bag that I use most of the summer. And then I have a much heavier one that I'll use in the winter months. And, uh, and the reason I swap is that the heavier one is bigger. It takes up more space in my little van, so I'd, I'd rather not travel with it if I could help it. I also have some blankets, uh, and I'm not sleeping on the floor of my van. I have a, a bed, um, which helps. Believe it or not, your bed is insulation. If you think about it, you're sleeping on foam. That's insulation, so that's good, too. All right, first defense. Second defense, and this is something anybody can do, so long as you have a way to boil water, is get a hot water bottle. I can't say enough good things about hot water bottles. Now, I have a traditional hot water bottle, the kind that's been around for like 100 years. It's flat. You fill it up with hot water, and then it, it came with this little sweater, believe it or not. And that I fill up with hot water, as hot as I can stand, and I throw that in the bottom of my sleeping bag. And that keeps me warm for hours. It's amazing how much heat water stores. If you don't have one of these water bottles, and they're not expensive, they're like 10 bucks. 
You can use a Nalgene bottle. You can use an old water bottle, a soda bottle, any kind of bottle you want. And if you're a real hardcore camper person and you are male, you may realize that your pee, pee bottle at night has heat in it. And some people will actually pee in the bottle and put that in the sleeping bag too. I'm not quite brave enough or trusting enough of uh, seals for that but it is a technique that people will use to get warm so if you're really desperate don't let the warmth of your pee go to waste those are all techniques that will work in a tent too they don't have anything van specific about them except for one thing um, where does your hot water come from that you're going to use in your hot water bottle well the obvious thing is you stop and you fire up your stove or whatever you have and heat the water and by it heating up the water in your van you're also heating up the van because you're you're cooking in there but i have a different way of doing it i have a 12 volt kettle that i plug into the cigarette lighter and while i'm driving it actually makes the water boiling hot and then when i pull over i can fill up the water bottle and warm up my sleeping bag they do make 12 volt electric blankets and i will try one of those eventually i haven't done it yet but they draw a lot of power. So the idea is you would set up your bed, put the electric blanket on the bed, and then drive, and it would warm up your bed. But it's not something you could likely use all night long unless you had a whole bunch of batteries, and I am not in that situation. Those are, you know, that's the way you can keep yourself warm in a bed. What about keeping the van warm? For example, you've got water in your van, right? You want to keep that water warm enough, so you want to heat your van. Well, yeah, sure. Uh, and going to the RV model, RVs all have heaters. And they're usually propane heaters that vent outside and have an electric fan, so they do require some battery. Uh, and you can get those for your van, but they're expensive and they take up a lot of space, and I don't see that many vans with them. There's, uh, there are other devices that are expensive and, and not as available in the U.S. One is called a Truma that you install and will use propane and it vents outside so you know it's safe. But what most people do, especially in the self-build community, is something different. So I'm going to go through the different stages of this. These all assume you have propane available, either in cans or in a big bottle. Now, in my van, I don't have a big bottle. I just have, uh, I have butane cans and propane cans. And I tend to use the butane for cooking because it's so convenient. But I do have the propane because it's easier to find. And uh, my stove is a two-way. I can use butane or propane with it so I kind of use the propane as a backup but for heating propane is better for a couple of reasons one is that butane freezes believe it or not at 32 degrees Fahrenheit or zero degrees Celsius your butane can may stop working and if you get up on a really cold morning and it's 27 in there you might find that you can't start up whatever it is you're gonna heat yourself with propane is much more forgiving of that at least at lower altitudes there's a guy named Bob Wells on YouTube. Uh, he does a channel called Cheap RV Living, and he he's great. I mean, you are going to run into this guy if you're into this at all. And he has been living in a van or a box truck or a trailer for decades in Alaska in some at, at some times. What he does to keep warm is he uses his stove. He has a Coleman camp stove, and that's it. He turns it on, heats up the van, and he doesn't sleep with it on, but that's his source of heat. Now, caveat, he will always tell you that he, his stove is magic and that if you try this, you will die. And I'm going to share that same advice. If you're burning propane in your van, you are taking risks. You're risking having an open flame in there. You're risking carbon monoxide poisoning. You're risking some carbon dioxide issues. And you're also risking just having the oxygen in your van go away. If you have a really tight build, 
you could actually use up enough oxygen that it would be a problem. So before we even start discussing propane, I want to make sure you've got a carbon monoxide detector, a carbon dioxide detector, or an oxygen sensor. Those tend to be the same things and a smoke detector and you want to learn how to use them and where to place them and a lot of people argue you should have two carbon monoxide detectors in there you could get a combo smoke detector carbon monoxide detector and then a separate carbon monoxide detector carbon monoxide has killed people in vans just recently it was just in the news you fall asleep and you're dead it's that simple so very serious the things I'm about to tell you about are not safe, and if you try any of them, you're taking a very big risk. That said, I've tried them, and I'm still here, but that's because I knew there were risks, and I took precautions, and the number one precaution, obviously, is ventilation. So the stovetop heater, they sell these little infrared heater things. Uh, they're made in China, of course, and they look like an upside-down tin can with holes cut in them. And the idea is you put this on top of your Coleman stove or your butane stove, and you crank it up. And the inside of it glows hot. It glows cherry red. And that cherry red glowing metal actually gives off infrared heat, the kind that warms up objects. It absolutely works. It will totally heat up your van. Um, I don't know that it's a long-term solution for heating, but if you're in a situation where you're in your van, it's early in the morning, and you want to take the chill off, this will absolutely do it. In maybe 10 minutes, you'll warm your van up pretty well. Again, you need a lot of ventilation. You need ventilation not only to take care of any gases that are given off, but also to replenish the oxygen that the flame is using. That's a primitive thing to do. And yeah, you can even make your own. I even experimented with, um, I bought a, a chimney topper, a flue topper. It, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's this sheet metal mushroom looking thing that goes on top of a, a, a natural gas hot water heater's vent and i put that on top of the stove and yeah that actually worked pretty well that that gave off a good amount of heat but this is kind of not the way to do it so what most people do is they upgrade to a buddy heater uh, mr heater is the name of a company that makes propane heaters and they make uh, several different sizes there's little ones and big ones and such and a lot of people use those now you will find big arguments about whether it's safe to use these indoors or, or outdoors. And the reason is that these are catalytic heaters. They do a different chemical reaction than just burning. And because of that, they produce less gas. You still have the problem of oxygen consumption. And you also have the problem that if they malfunction, they could be making gases that are poisonous that you can't even tell are there. So all the caveats apply. But Mr. Buddy Heater, huge, huge one that people use a lot. Uh, and I have always told myself that if I get desperate, I'm going to find a 24-hour Walmart and just buy one. So if I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning absolutely freezing somewhere, <laughs> heck, I was probably in a Walmart parking lot anyway, I would go in and buy one of these. I never had to. In fact, I have never owned one. It was because reading all the reviews, they have this problem where they produce too much heat. Even the littlest one produces so much heat that in my small van, I'd be roasting myself out. So I looked at other options, and I found this product called um, the Wave 3 from Olympian. This is a slightly different take on the buddy heater idea. It is, um, imagine a laptop computer or a pizza box. It's, it's that size. Uh, thicker, maybe twice as thick. And they come in various sizes. And 
inside, there, oh, there's a grate on the outside on the flat part, and underneath the grate, there's what looks like, well, it looks like rock wool or fiberglass. It is a fiberglass, but it's impregnated with some platinum. And this is also a catalytic heater. You turn this thing on, and that fabric glows and gives off infrared heat. And it's great. There's no odor. Um, there's not really any sound. It just gives off a solid amount of heat. And that is what I currently have, the Olympian Wave 3. I haven't used it very well enough to do a product review on it, uh, but that's where I'm going now. And that will give off a totally enough heat to heat your van. Um, they're rated... The, the three, and there's a six and an eight, is 3,000 BTUs on high. Uh, but you can turn it down to low, which is 1,500 BTUs, and to me, that's the sweet spot. Philosophically speaking, in the van, uh, I believe you're camping when you're in a van. So to me, the van isn't a house on wheels. To me, it is a very comfortable campsite that moves and thinking of it that way makes me realize that I don't necessarily want the inside of the van to be room temperature. What I really want is for the van to be livable, to be comfortable enough. And I have found that as long as it's above 50 degrees Fahrenheit, or what's that, about 15 degrees Celsius, I guess, I'm fine. I am fine in the van. I can just with clothing and whatever, I'm, I don't need any supplemental heat. So my goal is actually to make it 50 in there. And this thing does that in spades. Uh, so I think that's where I'm going to go. Mainly because even though it's a bigger unit, it actually produces less heat. That's an advantage in this case. Those are all the ways I keep, I, I keep warm in the van. And there are many others to consider. Uh, if you have a lot of money, there's a system called AquaHot that will use the heat from the engine to, it runs uh, flexible pipes under the floor. And as you're driving, it warms the floor up. Uh, and that can last for quite a while. You can actually heat up your whole back that way. And it, it also heats up your hot water tank, too. If you have a hot water tank, you'll also have hot water. Also, uh, this is interesting. If you listen to that Van Vansformation podcast that I recommended last time, they talk a lot about wood stoves. These aren't that common in the U.S., but uh, they literally, on that podcast, they spend a couple hours talking about these. They're super common in the U.K. I mean, they have some obvious advantages. You can just burn stuff in them. Uh, and they have a chimney, so you're not too worried about gases. But they're not very stealth. They need careful installation. They're expensive, and they take up a whole lot of space. If I had a wood stove in my NV200, there'd be no space for anything else. Now, I've left out a very good option that I don't really have in my van, and I've never used one of these things, but I've done a lot of research on them. And this is the diesel parking heater commonly known as the cheap Chinese diesel heater. So there were two companies called uh, Ebispasher and Wabasto that were making these things called parking heaters. And the idea is that you could park in your truck, turn the engine off, and still have heat. It's this little unit about the size of a quart milk jug. It uses diesel fuel to produce heat. Inside the unit is really not much more than a combustion chamber, a glow plug, and a fan. But the great thing about these is that they exhaust to the outside of your van. So they produce a dry heat, uh, unlike all the propane heaters I mentioned. The pro propane, when it burns, releases moisture into your, your van. So you need ventilation not only for your own air to get rid of the gases, you also need to worry about moisture. Because propane, when it burns, releases a lot of moisture, and you will find it on your windows in the morning. The diesel, cheap Chinese, Chinese diesel heaters, or any of the diesel heaters... Um, don't. It's just a nice, warm, dry air, and it's much better for drying things out. 
And and why I keep saying cheap Chinese diesel heater is that Webasto and Ebispatchers cost well over $1,000. They're quite pricey. Uh, they even make a gasoline model, but it's not allowed to be used in the U.S. And uh, if you can get it on the black market, even then it's like 1250 bucks. Most people who install them will tap into their existing fuel tank and just use that. And it doesn't use that much fuel, so the idea that you would run out of fuel because you were using it is, is pretty silly. If you don't have a diesel fuel tank, it does come with a tank, and you just use that. But China, being the uh, paragons of copyright law that they are not, uh, they make cheap knockoffs, and you can get them for like 150 bucks. And they're not as good quality as the German, you know, models, but they actually do the job. You should definitely check it out. Watch some videos on these things. Uh, they're a great option. They don't take up that much space. But there's one caveat. They do use electricity, and when they're starting up, they use quite a lot of electricity. Something, you know, you can be up 10 amps, which is a lot. So you do need a robust battery pack keep these things going and of course there's an electric fan those are some of the ways you can keep warm in a van and uh, you have to decide what's best for you but that is a very long talk about a very important topic tech talk let's talk about the very first thing you should buy for your van okay not your van we're going to assume you have a van or a trailer or a car or that you're planning on getting one never mind that and this thing is something you should buy even before you buy your van or vehicle and that thing is a fire extinguisher now hold up hear me out fire extinguishers are not the most exciting things in the world there's something you buy in the hopes of never using it but they're super important you as you're building your van or living in your van are going to encounter a lot of circumstances where stuff might catch fire uh, so definitely have a fire extinguisher handy. You should have at least one in your van. I recommend you have one in the front and one in the back. And when you're shopping for a fire extinguisher, you don't have to go crazy. You can spend 15 or 20 bucks. Just make sure you have one that at least says BC on it. So there are classes of fire extinguishers, A, B, C, and D. Class A is for wood, paper, cloth, trash, and plastics. Class B is for flammable liquids, gasoline, oil, grease, acetone, etc. Class C is for electrical equipment, and Class D, which you probably won't run into, is for specialty items like burning magnesium and things like that, which we're not probably going to encounter. An ABC is fine, a BC is fine. If you get an automotive fire extinguisher, it's probably just going to be BC, because wood, paper, cloth, trash, while you have those things in your van, they're not that big of a deal to put out. It's the gasoline and electrical stuff that actually takes some work. So... Seriously, buy yourself a fire extinguisher. Give, give it as a gift to yourself. Give one as a gift to everybody who you know who has a van or a car. They could save your life or your rig or other people's lives. They're just super important. Tales from the Road. So since we were talking about staying warm in the van, I thought I'd tell you about my first night in my van. I bought the thing... As I said uh, in a previous podcast, completely unconverted. There was nothing back there. The only modification I had done to the van was to take out the partition, and I put in a full an ottoman that folds out into a cot, and then some plastic cubey kind of furniture just to hold stuff. There was no insulation, no wall coverings, nothing electrical except I had that backpack battery, and that was it. And I said, you know what? 
I'm going to just head out and see what happens. Because I had the thought that if I did that, I would learn an awful lot about what needed to be done and what would make me comfortable. And I was absolutely right. I highly recommend you do this. Don't spend a whole ton of time planning what you're going to do in your van until you've actually slept in it. And that sleeping in it can be simple. Just go out in it with a sleeping bag. Now, I happen to do it on a cross-country trip, well, cross-country from Chicago to Vermont, and it was 17 degrees Fahrenheit out. Um, what's that? 10 Celsius? Negative 10 Celsius, rather? Uh, it, it's, it's cold. <laughs> and I lived, I didn't die, but uh, I was very, very uncomfortable. And I knew I would be, and it was fine, because I, I had prepared for it. I knew it was going to happen, and I took a lot of notes and made a lot of changes. Um, I woke up in the morning, and, and one morning in Vermont, I remember specifically, and yeah, because I was cold, I closed all the vents and the windows and every, well, I didn't have a vent at that point. All I had was windows. I made sure everything was closed, and there were literally icicles hanging from the roof of the van. Literally. Uh, the inside of the van, all the windows were coated with an eighth inch or so of ice, it was a horrible process getting mo going in the morning because I had to start the engine, which on an NV200, those engines do not produce much heat, warm it up, and then just mop up all the water. It was horrible. So a short story this week because we took so much time before, but get your van, get in it, go out there, and see what you can learn. But maybe, maybe do it in the summer, maybe. Or if you want to be hardcore, go ahead and do it in the winter. Just be prepared to be cold. <laughs> All right, this week on a place to visit, um, I'm going to recommend a place that's absolutely beautiful that unless you're from the Midwest, you may not even know exists. And these are some of the most amazing sand dunes in the United States. And they are in the state of, no, not New Mexico. No, not Nevada, not Utah, not California, not Maine, not Florida, not Georgia. Although many of those places probably do have amazing sand dunes. In fact, I know they do. No, these are in Indiana. Yes, that's right, folks. Time to take out your map and take a look. And if you look at your map and you find Lake Michigan and you follow Lake Michigan as far south as you can go, you will find the state of Indiana. And on that southern shore of Lake Michigan are amazing sand dunes. You will find yourself there on this enormous beach with 20, 30, 40 foot sand dunes behind you as you look out on this completely open body of water. If it's very clear, you might see Chicago in the distance, but if it's a little mistier, you won't. And it is indistinguishable from the ocean, except that it doesn't smell like the ocean and you don't really see the shipping that you do in the ocean. It's a national park, or it's a national recreation area. I'm not exactly sure which it is, but it's a place they have campgrounds. They have all kinds of services. You might have a little bit of trouble stealthing there. It's not like you can just drive up on the beach and uh, disappear. You, you probably will have to either stealth in town and then come to the beach during the day or, uh, or get a campsite, which is probably the easiest thing to do. But yeah, check it out. Uh, I'll have some, some pictures in the show notes, but Indiana Dunes is an amazing place to check out that a lot of people who aren't from the Midwest have never heard of. All right, this week for a resource recommendation, I'm going to switch over to YouTube. Um, YouTube is where most people learn how to build their vans and what's going on with people in their vans. There's so much content. It's hard to wade through. 
Uh, one person that I've been following for a while now is a guy named Nate, and he has a, um, a vlog, a web series, a, a channel on YouTube called Element Van Life. Now, this guy, he's a young guy from Massachusetts, and he moved into a Honda Element and has been documenting his experience for years now about how he built it out and all the problems he's gone through and what daily life is like. And really, he, he just seems like this really nice guy. And he will just show you all the aspects that maybe you haven't even thought of and how he's gone through them. And what I, one thing I really like about Nate, and I, I don't mean this at, at a dig at him, is he, he's not a professional. He's just a guy like me trying to figure stuff out. And he has. He has figured out a whole bunch of stuff. In fact, now he has moved into the same van I have, and I've enjoyed quite a bit seeing how he's done things differently. In fact, my curtain design in my van, I stole from his van. Um, this is van life. You're allowed to steal stuff as long as it's not an actual object. So check him out. It's Element Van Life on YouTube, and I'll have a link in the show notes. Time for a little bit of Q&A. Uh, my friend Paul from the UK asked me this question on Facebook. How much money does this save over driving a normal car and staying in hotels? So Paul, former roommate of mine, Paul and I shared a hotel in Sydney, Australia for a while. Well, it depends on how you look at it. So for me, again, I'm not a full-timer, so I can't compare this to rent. But for me, I have spent somewhere in between 40 and 50 nights in my van over the past several months. And if I figure 75 bucks a night for hotels, that's a lot of money. Now, I did have to pay for the van and pay for the build and all that, but what this does is it doesn't so much save me money as give me the chance to actually go out and do this because there's no way I would go out and spend 50 nights in hotels just exploring, not with the amount of money I have. So, yeah, you save a lot of money in that regard. As to whether if you were living in your van, would that save a lot of money? That's a complicated calculus, and I am not going to even talk about that. A lot of other folks do talk about that. So questions are now answered. Thank you very much for listening to this episode two. If you'd like to get in touch with me uh, for any reason, you can reach me on Facebook or Instagram. All the stuff is at builttogo.com. If you want to just send me an email, I'm jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's and built to go, build to go. The music is all by Simon Wagg, aka Sir Mooj. And I will talk to you again very soon. 